Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Hello everybody, my name is Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to my podcast in the book of Revelation. In this series of podcasts, we're going to look at the book of Revelation from chapters 1 through 22. What did John say? How would John's readers have understood what he said? And what does it mean for us today? After we survey the 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, we'll then record some more podcasts that will examine some of the more popular topics. What about the beast and the Antichrist and the rapture and some of the more popular topics? For those of you who are interested, I encourage you to get a copy of my book, Follow the Lamb. It's a guide on how to read, understand, and apply the book of Revelation. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth podcast. For now, I hope you sit back and enjoy our study of the book of Revelation. Today we're looking at Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7 breaks down into two parts, verses 1 through 8, which deal with 144,000 who were divinely sealed, and Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, which looks at a great multitude from every nation which are entering into the throne of God and uh, the dwelling place in God's eternal rest. Now, first thing to note, is that Revelation 7 is going to answer the question that that chapter 6 ended with. Chapter 6, verse 17 says, uh, The great day of the wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Revelation 7, verse 1 begins with, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Verse 9, of course, is going to refer to a great multitude from every nation uh, who themselves are standing before the throne and before the Lamb. We'll also note the links between Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 5 and the reference to Jesus as the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Lamb that was slain. First off, we note that the Lion is from the tribe of Judah, Revelation 5 verse 5. We also note the 144,000 are first and foremost from the tribe of Judah, Revelation chapter 7 verse 5. The Lamb is standing, uh, the Lamb standing is the one who has ransomed people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, Revelation 5 9, while the great multitude in Revelation 7 9 are those from every nation, tribes, people, and tongue. This means that the 144,000 might be looked at as an Israelite army of the Messiah David, while the great multitude are the international followers of the slain lamb. Let's continue to look through Revelation 7 and see if we can unpack this. Revelation 7 verse 1, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind should blow on the earth or the sea or any tree. I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or any trees, until we have sealed the bondservants of our God in their forehead. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And the twelve tribes appear to be then listed in verses 5 through 8. The tribe of Judah, Reuben, and Gad, Asher, Manasseh, and Asher, Naphtali, and Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, and Issachar, and Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. The description of the angels at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth, of course, figuratively, figuratively represents the whole world. We refer to the idea that the number four in the book of Revelation is commonly used to the created realm. Note they're held, they're, that the fact that they're held back implies perhaps that they're wicked agent, uh, agents. They're not to harm the land or the seas or any tree until we've sealed the bondservants of our God. The number of those who are sealed is 144,000. The background for the, the Old Testament background for the sealing of the 144,000 is Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 3 through 10. 
in Ezekiel, uh, some people were sealed so the guy would not destroy the whole nation. He would actually preserve some. Uh, the seal of the living God, however, most specifically in the New Testament, has to be understood in terms of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, uh, and uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, both seemingly indicate the idea of the Holy Spirit being uh, the uh, people of God, being the seal for the people of God. Second you know, Corinthians chapter one verse twenty one says, "Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us as God, who has also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge." There we see it directly that the Holy Spirit is our seal. Ephesians chapter one verse thirteen and fourteen says the same thing. In Him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So the idea of the seal perhaps refers then to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. In Revelation chapter 14, those who have the seal of God are equated with those who have the name of God in their forehead. Revelation 14 verse 1 says, I looked and behold, the Lamb was standing on the Mount Zion and with him the 144,000, having his name and the name of the Father written on their foreheads. So now we see that the idea that uh, the sealing represents the name of Christ and the, and the name of the Father. This is also confirmed for us in Revelation chapter 22, uh, verses 3 and 4 describe, There shall no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. So we see indeed that the seal of God is perhaps the person of the Holy Spirit uh, who identifies God's people as, as uh, the property belonging to God. In the ancient world, slaves were marked on their forehead to indicate who owned them. The idea then of having the name of God on their forehead or the name of Christ on their forehead indicates that we are owned by God, God's possession. The description of, of those who are sealed as the servants of our God also designates believers throughout the book of Revelation and affirms that those who are sealed are, are those who are already slaved, uh, saved. The purpose of the seal then is to indicate divine ownership and divine protection. Uh, most likely, it means that they uh, it ensures their ability to respond with faithfulness at all times, the ability to carry out the role of witnesses. We're going to see in chapter 9, however, that the seal of God also indicates divine protection. Verse 4 of Revelation chapter 9 says that they were told, the, these scorpions who come up out of, the, uh, out of the abyss, they were told not to harm the, the grass of the sea or the grass of, uh, of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who did not have the seal of God in their foreheads. So it also indicates divine protection from the wrath of God. Uh, perhaps this parallels the protection, protection that the Israelites were afforded from the plagues in Egypt. So the mark here, again, is probably indeed the reference to the Holy Spirit. It, it signifies ownership, and thus they're designated as bondservants, but they're also protected from the plagues from God, and of course they're sealed for the service to God. Now, again, to reiterate, every time the word servant is used in the book of Revelation, it applies to the church or the people of God. The servants of the readers in Revelation chapter 1, 1. John's referred to as himself as a servant, and the church in Thyatira are servants. In eleven eighteen, all the people of God are designated as bondservants of our God. Uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 18 says, The nations were enraged, and the, and the wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to give their reward to the bondservants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to those who fear their name. Note again, then, that, note here that the bondservants are designated as prophets, saints, and those who fear thy name, the small and the great, um, are all God's servants. Now, what is the 
significance of then uh, of the idea of counting them as 144,000 in particular. Well, first off, uh, this passage has all the marks of a census. Now, note the only time that God has ever uh, authorized or sanctioned a census is in Numbers chapter 1, verse 3. The purpose of a census is always to count the military strength of a nation. Um, in fact, this is always the case. The idea then that the 144,000 would be recognized as males of military age, of course, confirms what we find in, the, in Revelation chapter 14, where it describes the 144,000 uh, in this way. It says, verse 4, it says, These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. So the identification of them as males of military age is just in accordance with the idea that there are a countable number of Israelites, 144,000, marked out uh, for military purposes. They're males of military age. The idea then we have here a picture of Jewish people, Messianic people, an eschatological army. In particular, they're referred to as 12,000 out of each of the 12 tribes. Now, there's two ways uh, people might read this. Some will argue that these are 12,000 Israelites, Jews, uh, from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They, are, they contend that this is a literal reading of the passage where God provides in the last days that uh, he'll raise up uh, the people of Israel uh, to be uh, followers of Jesus Christ. And in fact, there'll be 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Now, the problem here, of course, is the fact that, first off, this listing of the 12 tribes is never doesn't correspond to any listing of the 12 tribes anywhere in any Jewish literature, including the Old Testament. The, the list is not the correct 12 tribes. It simply isn't. This list omits the tribes of Dan and Ephraim, while adding in the tribes of Levi and Joseph. So this is a, probably an, an apocalyptic writer's way of indicating that I don't mean for you to take this in a literal way. After all, this isn't the 12 tribes. We also need to note that the 10 tribes of the northern kingdom disappeared during the Assyrian exile in the 8th century BC. We can add to this as well that in the New Testament, there's no distinction between Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, uh, as Galatians 3.26 says. So the other possibility then is that this is a reference to the church, the redeemed of all, uh, the, all of the redeemed. The idea of 144,000 would be the number 12 times 12, referring to Old Testament saints and New Testament saints being combined into one, as well as the number 10 uh, cubed, or perhaps the number 1,000. Now note that the one number 1,000, as we meant to, mentioned last time, is a reference to a countable number. It's a, a large number, but it's countable. The number for 10,000, myriads, is often an indication of an uncountable number, or innumerable um, um, myriads of myriads, uh, uh, billions and billions. But the number 1,000 usually indicates a, cultable, uh, a countable entity. So this is 12 times 12 times 1,000. The 144,000 then represents an Israelite army, an Israelite army that obviously uh, already gives us an indication that it's not just Israelite Jew, uh, physical Jews, but that they're Christians uh, who are combining the Jews and uh, uh, Gentiles together. There are 144,000 because it's a military. It's a military strength of the nation, and they're males of military age. <clears throat> Now, as we move on to chapter uh, 7, verse 9, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues, were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and the elders, and the, and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. 
blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they? And from where have they come? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Revelation 7, verses 9-17, through then seems to describe the people of God in a heavenly paradise. Perhaps uh, this is a prelude, or what's referred to as proleptic, a a leap ahead, a reference to the new Jerusalem, the new creation that we're going to see in Revelation 21 and 22. John says, after these things, I saw. Note the contrast. Revelation 7, verse 4 says, I heard the number of those who were sealed. But then he looked, and he saw a great multitude. This uh, is another indication that we have Uh, perhaps two groups that appear to be distinct groups, but yet, in fact, are indeed one. After all, we noted in Revelation 5 that John heard that the lion from the tribe of Judah had overcome, but then he saw a lamb that was slain. Now, it appears that John heard one thing and saw another thing, but we know better. We know that the lion and the lamb are indeed both references to Christ. So also here, John appears to hear one thing and see another. He hears that there's 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. But then he looks and he sees a great multitude from every nation. Now, as we look further, we seem justified that these two groups are indeed to be referred to as as one entity. First off, we noted already that the 144,000 is 12 times 12. It's not simply distinct physical Israelites. There's already an indication that this is Old Testament and New Testament in fulfillment. Secondly, the great multitude is from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and tongues. Every nation surely includes Israel. How then do we understand, or or what's the purpose of indicating 144,000 Israelites compared to a great multitude which no one could count? After all, again, they seem to be distinct groups. One's Israelites, one's people from every nation. One's countable, 144,000, one's uncountable. Well, the answer probably is this. God made a promise to Abraham in the Old Testament. That promise to Abraham was that he would be the means through which he would bless all the nations. God further promised Abraham that he would have as many descendants as the stars of the sky or the grain of sand on the seashore. Could this passage then be an indication that the promise to Abraham has been fulfilled? That the Israelite people that began as a a countable multitude or a countable number, 144,000, countable, have indeed become a great multitude from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every tongue, and an uncountable one at that. Now, as we go on further, we note that the great multitude is clothed in white robes. Uh, Of course, their robes are white because they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now, white linen, we noted already, and chapter 19 is going to indicate for us, that it stands for the righteous acts of the saints. But it also is a sign of victory. These people are dressed in white, they're carrying palm branches, indicates then that they are conquerors. They're victorious over the powers of evil. Again, note that this is a proleptic look, a proleptic look of God's people uh, in the future, in their eternal state of glory. Now, before we go any further, let's make a note of something very significant in terms of the structure of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6 had the, the opening of the seven seals. But if we note carefully, the first six seals are all that has been opened. The seventh seal is yet to be opened. Chapter 7, then, is an interlude. It's a break, a pause. 
The first six seals are open, one somewhat after the other. Of course, the fifth and sixth seals have a longer description, so it's slowing down a little bit. But all of a sudden, we begin. We should expect 7-1 to say, and after that, the Lamb broke the seventh seal. But it doesn't. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1 indicates the breaking of the seventh seal. So this interlude or this pause is going to be very important. We'll note that the exact same thing is going to happen in the series of seven trumpets. The first six trumpets will be open, and then there'll be a pause. That pause is chapter 10, verse 1, all the way through to 11, chapter 11, verse 14. <clears throat> so also, in both instances, the pause occurs after the sixth item and before the seventh. And in both instances, Revelation 7, the pause between the sixth and the seventh seal, and Revelation 10 and, and the beginning of 11, which is the pause between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, both instances refer to this, the text uh, refers to uh, the state of, the, of God's people. <clears throat> now, as we move on, it says that they're waving palm branches, which is also a likely a, a reference to the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, pilgrims would carry a bunch of green plants, the most prominent of which was uh, palm branches, known as the La, La, La Louvre. Palm branches further signify victory over their enemy. If the 144,000 are an Israelite military, and the great multitude is to be identified in them as, in terms of promised fulfillment, a countable number of Israelites has, has given birth to an uncountable number of people from every nation, and this military uh, uh, people, the 144,000, are victorious, it seems to fit. The palm branches, the white clothes, all signify victory over an enemy. Salvation to our God and to the Lamb, they cry out. Again, parallels the victory songs after we return from war. In particular, this song also parallels Psalm 118, known as the Hallel. The Hallel, Psalms 113 to 118, were sung during the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, these songs are sung to the Lamb. Uh, in chapter 5, uh, and note that uh, the only distinction between the song sung to the Lamb in chapter 5 and here is that wealth is given to the Lamb and thanksgiving is now given to God. Then someone asked John, one of the elders said to him in verse 13, Who are these? Where are they? You know, those who have clothed in white robes, who are they and where have they come from? Of course, this is a prophetic way of, uh, uh, of explaining a vision. We're going to ask a question that we actually know the answer to. John himself says, I have no idea who are they. And then he's told, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. Now, the word tribulation is used always uh, as a result of being a faith, is something that happens as a result of being a faithful witness to Jesus. In Paul, the word tribulation always refers to a present reality. It's what God's people undergo. We must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God, Paul will say. Jesus will say, and that's uh, Acts 14, 23. Jesus will say in John 16, in me you have peace, but in the world you have tribulation. Since uh, the innumerable multitude have come out of the Great Tribulation, it's a reasonable reference, David Owney says, that the, at least some of them are indeed the martyrs that we saw under the altar in Revelation chapter 6. G.K. Beale says, The Tribulation consists of pressures to compromise their faith. These pressures come both from within the church community through seductive teaching and from without through overt oppression. The reality, however, is these are the ones who have come out of the Great Tribulation. They've persevered. Note then that the tribulation is something in the New Testament that's already started. It's something that we're already undergoing. And John is reminding us or giving us a glimpse, a preview, a proleptic look into the future of what, our, what the state will be for those who overcome and for those who persevere and for those who come out and endure through the great tribulation. Now, the, they're clothed in white garments, it says, which I already mentioned is a sign of victory. Um, but it's also an indication of ritual purity, returning from war after shedding blood. They have to get their garments washed. Note also the Exodus parallels. 
The great multitude comes out of the tribulation, just like the Israelites came out of Egypt uh, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 31. The Israelites washed their garments in Exodus 19, verses 10 and 14. Those garments were sprinkled by blood, Exodus 24, verse 8. And the purpose of all that was to prepare God's people for, for God's tabernacling presence amongst them. God's presence which will provide them with food, water, protection, and comfort. The very things that the great multitude are promised. For this reason, it says, verse 15, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on his throne will spread his tabernacle over them, and they will hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, because the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Notice the saints persevere. And the result of their, per, of their perseverance and their purity is the basis upon which they enter the presence of God. The great multitude will perform acts of the Levitical priests. They are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple, which fulfills Ezekiel 37, 26-28. God will spread his tabernacle over them, and they will hunger or thirst no longer, nor will the sun or any scorching heat be down on them. Of course, this will contrast those who suffer under the fourth bowl, the, the, the sun beating down on them in the scorching heat. And the lamb in the middle of the throne will, uh, will, will spread his tabernacle over them. The lamb, of course, shares the throne of God uh, along with the Father, and we'll note that especially in Revelation 22, verses 1 and 3. He will be their shepherd, and will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Remember, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, if you come to me, I'll, I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again. But this, he says in John 7, he, this he spoke of the Spirit, whom he had not yet given. So then, the great multitude and the 144,000 are likely to be viewed as the same people from two different perspectives. First off, the 144,000 Israelites are an Israelite army, but there's an indication that they are 12 times 12, that there's more than just Israelites there. Um, who then are fulfilled and come through the Great Tribulation. As a result, they are rewarded. In the end, what started off as a countable number of people uh, is fulfilled with an uncountable multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. John heard that there were 144,000, but he saw a great multitude from every nation. Another indication that the 144,000 and the great multitude are indeed the same groups of group of people in a promise fulfillment sense is that in chapter 14, we see the 144,000 again. And these are the ones who are following the Lamb wherever he goes, chapter 14, verse 4 says. But it goes on to say in verse 4 as well, that these have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. In chapter 5, verse 9, we saw that the Lamb had purchased from among every nation and every tribe. In chapter 7, verse 9, the great multitude are themselves from every nation and every tribe. So if those in 5.9 are from every nation and every tribe, and the great multitude are from every nation and every tribe, then it stands to reason that the, those purchased in Revelation 5.9 and Revelation 7.9 are indeed the same people. But Revelation 14 says they were purchased from among men, the 144,000. That indicates that the 144,000 and the people in Revelation 5.9 who also were purchased are indeed the same groups of people. As, as a result, then, we might conclude that the 144,000 and the great multitude are indeed the promise of God's people being fulfilled. Now we might note that this conclusion actually is not foreign to the scriptures. It actually fits the pattern set forth in the book of Deuteronomy. The Israelites, according to Deuteronomy 10.22, went down to Egypt, Egypt as a countable number, 70 persons it says, but they returned to the land as numerous as the stars of heaven. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 22. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.